Now, we're going to read from the Word of God, and I'm going to read from um, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. If you found the place, Luke chapter 12, verse 22, and this is a very unusual Christmas Sunday message. I must confess that. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then, being not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all of these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. We know the Lord will bless to us this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 22, right through to verse 31. And my theme today is entitled, A Word About Worry. Now, in its context, These words were spoken by the Lord Jesus to his disciples primarily in the presence of a very large crowd of people. Some commentators say tens of thousands. So I want you to think of a crowd of people, even tens of thousands listening to the Lord Jesus instruct and teach his people. And in the course of his address, he warns the disciples about the danger and the pitfall of hypocrisy. Listen to these words, Luke 12 and 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, hypocrisy was one of the chief sins that marked out the sect of the Pharisees in the days of Christ. Uh, They were the most religious people in Jerusalem and in Judea at that time, but sadly, many of them were hypocrites. That is, they were merely play-acting at being God's children, play-acting at being godly in holiness uh, unto the Lord, but at the same time, they uh, were, were devoid of reality. They'd never been born of the Spirit, and they knew nothing of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Then the Lord Jesus also told his disciples not to be afraid of them. He says in verses 4 and 5, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which 
after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell, yea, I say unto you, fear him. In other words, he was saying to his disciples, <coughs> don't be gripped by the fear of man. Rather, fear the Lord. Because the Lord alone has the power to throw both body and soul into hell. That day the Lord Jesus also warned about the dangers of covetousness. He used a request from an individual who asked the Lord about getting his brother to divide up the inheritance. And he used this, and this is what he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And it was against this backcloth that the Lord Jesus told the parable of the greedy farmer who died unexpectedly despite the fact that he was rich in this world's goods. Sadly, he wasn't rich toward God. And then the Lord Jesus then proceeded to press home a fourth issue. An issue that's related to covetousness. Now he's dealing with the sin of hypocrisy in this address. He's dealing with the sin of fear. He's dealing with the sin of covetousness. And now he proceeds to add about the sin of worry. You see, he knew that many of his disciples would be full of anxious care and concern about what they would eat, what they would drink, and what they would wear. Now you think of this. What do you do when you have little money in the bank? When you have little food in the cupboard? When you can't afford new clothes, when you're thinking, well, how could I pay my bill? And you see, in that context, then we're tempted to despair. We, we fret. We, we, we become worried. We, 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 we're thinking and focused on material and worldly goods. And the Lord Jesus had a word for his disciples. Look at verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens. Now remember they had left all to follow Christ. They had sacrificed everything for the Savior. And here's their minds now. And they're filled with this thought, how are we going to cope? How are we going to make ends meet? And because of that, thinking about worldly goods and, 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 and things to do with their, their body and, and necessities of life, they were very prone to worry. And the Lord Jesus, he has a word for them. And he has a word for us about worry this morning. Maybe there's somebody here and you're filled with worry even about the Christmas period. Well, let's, let's think of God's word, because the Lord Jesus has a word for you. I want you to think, first of all, of the anxiety that is analyzed. Look at these words. Verse 22, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now, what does that mean? The word take no thought is used ten times in the Bible. Four of the references are part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 25, 28, 31, 34. And three are in this very chapter that we've read together. Luke 12 and 11. Luke 12 and 22. And 12 and 26. Now what does the words take no thought mean when you read it? What does it mean? Well, let, let me put it this way. It means don't be sinfully worried. That's what it means. Think of the fact of worry. 
Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't be sinfully worried. You see, many of God's people are worried about finances. How can I pay this month's bills? What if I lose my job? How will I pay my mortgage? How will I pay off my car? Aren't many of God's people worried about health issues? What if I get cancer? What if I get Alzheimer's? Aren't they worried about the children? What if my children go into drugs and drink and sexual immorality and crime and end up in court and in jail? Aren't we worried about who they'll marry? Will they marry in the Lord? Aren't we worried even today about the state of the church? We live in days of apostasy and religious decline. And we are worried and concerned even about the state of our own free Presbyterian church. Aren't we worried about the country? The the lawlessness of the age? The imposition of abortion demand and same-sex marriage and transgender issues? Aren't we worried about the future? Fearful, uncertain times that we live in? Aren't we worried about home life? How many today are struggling with personal matters? Maybe there's a breakup of personal relationship. There's some deeper family problem. Maybe you're worried about getting old. How am I going to cope? You see, I could go on this morning, on and on. There are many things that we're worried about. In fact, there's a thousand and one things. And many are worried when they've nothing to worry about. I tell my mother-in-law she worries about the grass growing. She worries about the weather. thousand and one things. Just lies in beds and worries about things. Let me just ask this morning, what in your life is worrying you right now? Is it money, health, old age, children, church, country, home life, family difficulties, personal matters? Listen to the Lord Jesus. Seven times, four in the Sermon on the Mount and three here in this chapter. And this is what he says, take no thought. And what did he mean? He meant... Don't be sinfully worried. You see, this is a command. It's in the imperative tense. Now, what does it mean? Think about it negatively. He's not suggesting we adopt a carefree attitude to life. He's not saying don't think about finance or don't think about health issues. Don't think about your children or the state of the church or home life. It's not a command to be reckless and thoughtless. It's not a call to be irresponsible. We're not to throw off duty. We're not to cast aside our responsibilities. There's far too many references in the Bible to to counter such a notion. There are things that we must take care of. There are duties to fulfill as fathers and mothers uh, and even as children. Remember Paul, he he talked about uh, having the care of all the churches. <clears throat> so if it doesn't mean throw off duty and be irresponsible, what does it mean? As I've said, don't be sinfully worried. Think of the essence of worry. Look there at Luke 12 and verse 29. It says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. You see, a doubtful mind is a mind that's distracted, a mind that's divided. Think for a moment of sheep in a field. Sheep are timid, gentle creatures. And you know what? Dogs love to chase sheep. They love to chase baby calves. And dogs love to get into a field and they'll chase all the sheep round the field and nearly chase them all day. 
to, to their near dropping dead. Sometimes the dogs, or one dog, will even isolate one sheep, and then you know what it'll do? It'll nip it in the leg. And you see, after it's nipped it in the leg, it'll go back for a second time, and it'll bite it in the neck. So it doesn't stop it knitting, it bites it at the neck. And even dogs have been known, once they get a taste of blood, to, to, to kill the sheep. There's bylaws in England, and I'm not sure if there's bylaws in Northern Ireland, that a farmer can shoot any dog on his land. And I know it would upset some people to shoot a dog. The attitude would be, my dog's harmless. My dog would never hurt a fly. But if a dog worries sheep, then the dog, the farmer says, has a right to be put down. You see, worry, here's the picture this morning. It's like a sheep being chased in the field. There's relentless pressure put in your mind. And your mind has been nipped away at. Your, your mind has been bitten at. Your, your mind has been um, gorged to the point where you're so distracted and you're divided. It's like being pulled in, in two or three different ways. Remember the story of Martha and Mary in the Bible, two sisters in the one home? They're very opposite. One was very busy in the home. That sister's name was Martha, young people. And you know, she was so busy cleaning her home, making the dinner, doing everything else, waiting for the Lord Jesus to come in as a guest. She neglected the one thing that was needful. Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things. You've got all this business in your mind, but your mind's distracted and divided and disturbed, even though it's legitimate that you clean the house and make the dinner for me coming. One thing was needful. And Mary, she had chosen the one thing that was needful. What was that? To sit and listen to the word of the Lord Jesus at his feet. Notice this thought. A doubtful mind. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. You see, the thought is of the mind being thrown up in the air. And, and you're, you're uh, unable to concentrate. You're, 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 you're in a state of turmoil. And so you get up in the morning and it's on your mind. In the middle of the day, it's on your mind. At night time, it's on your mind. You, you toss and turn. You, you can't hardly sleep. And you know, this is horrible. And it can even lead to a, a mental breakdown. It can lead to people being physically crushed and their spirit broken. They're, they're so obsessed. You see, there's such a thing as the fact of worry. Let's think of the focus of worry. What makes people worry? See, worry affects many good, born-again believers. Who was the Lord Jesus speaking to? It says in verse 22, his disciples. Those that belong to him. See, the Lord Jesus recognized and knew this. He knew about the fact of worry. He, he knew about the focus of worry. He, he, he was speaking to the men at the top, as it were, of the early church. These men were thinking how they could keep body and soul together. They were thinking about eating and drinking and wearing things. And, and of course, we can widen it out. But many of God's people, as I've said, are worried about health problems. Isn't health problems a tremendous source of worry? You go to the doctor and he gives you a clean bill of health and you come out smiling and you're glad and you think he's a good doctor and you're relieved. But suppose the doctor says he spots something. We need to do more tests, missus. 
or mister. And what does it do? It just fills your heart and mind with dread and fear. What about personal problems? Do you know that there's two million people living their own in the United Kingdom? Do you know that loneliness is a real problem? People with no family and no friends, they're on their own, they've no one to speak to, maybe just the radio, or maybe just the television, maybe just a cat or a dog. People have personal problems because they've been bullied, maybe at school, bullied in the workplace, they've been traumatised, they've got anxiety issues. Or, or maybe it's, it's age-related, and, 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 and they're thinking, I'm getting older. And, 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 and they're fretting and they're worried and they're thinking, you know, someday I'm going to die. And, and how will I cope on that day? What about work problems? Change of employment contract? Possible loss of job? Things not going well with the boss? What about relationship problems at home? Family? Parents? Worry about children, grandparents? You see, there's many problems. There's all kinds of things. Why? Now, I just want to ask this. What's the reason for all this worry? What's the root cause of this worry in the hearts and minds of God's people that are distracted and divided? Well, here's one of the reasons that we worry. We don't trust the Lord. Look at the text. Doesn't the, look at verse 28. If then God so clothed the grass which today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? What did he say? O ye of little faith. Here's one of the reasons why we worry. We don't trust the Lord. It's a faith issue. We're distrusting him. You see, even though our faith is weak and at the point of a state of collapse, the Lord Jesus recognized the aspect about little faith. But little faith is connected to unbelief. It's, it's not trusting in the Lord. In Psalm 78 and verse 19, the question is asked, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The children of Israel, even back then, were worried about food, what they were going to eat, and what they were going to drink. And they were told, this is a faith issue. You have a lack of trust in him. And even when he provided bread... Then they ask this question, if you look at Psalm 78 very carefully, can he provide water also? You see, it's a failure to remember who the Lord is, that he's the living and the true God, that he's absolutely sovereign, he's in control, he's on the throne, that he's all wise, that, that, that he's all good, he's only good, he's independently good, he's eternally good, he never does anything bad, he's too wise to make a mistake, he's too good to do something wrong. Remember the disciples in the Sea of Galilee, they're in the boat in the midst of the storm. Here's a panic situation. What happens when a panic situation comes? Well, faith goes out the window. Faith goes out the window in a crisis, even for many of God's dear people. And what do we do? We end up behaving like a heathen person. We display an attitude that we have a lack of faith in him. We're really saying, I don't trust him. It's as if we, we never heard of him. And this lack of faith, this unbelief, this distrust lies at the bottom of every form of worry that you have. And lack of faith is sin. Doesn't the Bible say whatsoever is not a faith of sin? Doesn't sin separate us from God? 
Don't we act then as if God's remote? He's far away from us. He's not interested in me. He's not close to me. See, what I want you to understand, this is a faith issue. Not only the fact of worry, but the focus on worry. What is it really? It's a faith issue. And that must be addressed. That sin must be confessed to him. See, sin puts God at a distance. Sin has a harmful effect. It's a lack of trust. It's a failure to realize my life is in his hands. And of course, that's futile because it doesn't change anything. I trust this morning, here's the anxiety that is analyzed, the fact of worry, the focus of worry. Think about something else very quickly. The argument that is addressed. Why not worry? The Lord Jesus has a threefold argument in Luke 12, and it's this. The argument of priority. Listen to verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. There's a fuller text in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says in Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Don't be fooled into thinking that all of this life All that life is about is about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. Don't be caught up with worldly and material things as a Christian. Remember, God must be first. And there has to be submission to him through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And this is where true life really begins. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Life to the full, life to the max, eternal life here and now, but an abundant life in Christ even when we can cope in a crisis, because God is not impersonal. He's not far away. He's not uninterested. Don't fall into the trap of behaving like an unbeliever or behaving like a pagan. You see, that's all they think about. And there's many at Christmas time, and all they're thinking about is eating and drinking and what they're going to wear. And I was in Marks and Spencer's um, on Friday morning, very early, and the place was bunged. And they were all going about with trolleys full of stuff. I was just thinking, is their mind in Christ? Or is it just to do with the body, what they'll eat, what they'll drink, and what they'll wear? And there's the argument of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. You see, to, to really be overcome with worry to the point where you're sinning against the Lord and not trusting him, it's not a good testimony to the cause of Christ. The unsaved look at you and think, well, what sort of God is that person God if he can't trust him in a crisis? So there's the argument of priority. You heard the story about Hudson Taylor. He uh, never made a public request for money. He didn't personally go to people and ask for support. Um, on one occasion, when they were in China, uh, the uh, children in the children's hospital, they were down to the last bag of rice, and someone reported to him from the kitchen, if we don't get rice soon, Mr. Taylor, we're going to starve. And he said, well, I'll pray about that. And you see, the Lord knows who I am. And he knows what I need even before I pray. 
And he can provide my breakfast and my lunch and my dinner. He can provide rice for these children. This was way back in 1859. He said, this is the Lord's opportunity to work. Do you know that morning he received some sort of meal? It had come from New Zealand. And do you know what was in that? A postal order in those days for the grand sum of 50 English pounds. See, 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 the Lord provided. Hudson Taylor was a man who put the Lord first in his life. He was submitted to the work and the will of God. Jonathan Goforth and Rosling Goforth experienced the same thing. You know, on one occasion, uh, they, they were told, uh, don't make any new openings in your missionaries' endeavors. Stay where you are. Um, we have to make cutbacks. Things are tight. There's little money coming in. And you see, see when, when there's little money coming in, that's an opportunity to go to God and pray. And that's, of course, what Jonathan Goforth and Rosling did. They also received a letter. A letter also from New Zealand. And there was another money order in it. And there was enough money to go and break into new ground in that province where Jonathan Goforth was at. You see, these men put God at the center of their lives. They kept in mind, God's on the throne. God's in control. God will provide. And my duty, my obligation, my responsibility is to have faith in him. And you see, it's an argument of priority. Remember Mr. Busy? What did he prioritize? Things to do with himself, his house, his friends, his um, recreational activities, walk and a picnic. But he left the Lord out. And you see, there's many too busy for God. And, that, and that's part of the problem in society. They're too busy for God. But we're to put God first. God's to be at the center. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. That is to be under the reign and rule of God. That's what the word kingdom means. And his righteousness. And all the other things that we need. They'll be added to us. What about the argument of providence? This was another argument. The Lord Jesus said, consider the ravens. In other words, do a bit of bird watching. See, remember the raven is an unclean bird. And in the time of famine, it was an unclean bird, namely the raven, that brought bread and meat to Elijah for 12 whole months. Can you just imagine Elijah sitting at the brook chariot looking up into the sky and seeing the ravens coming with his bread and with meat in their claws or maybe in their beak? You see, God used the raven to feed Elijah. And if God preserves his creatures and God preserves the creatures, then how much more will he not preserve his children? And that's the very argument here. God's preservation of the creatures determines God's preservation of his children and the church. Consider the ravens. The word consider means to think about, ponder, analyze, acquaint thyself. Do a bit of sanctified bird watching. Stop worrying. As you think of the birds and, and how they're fed, then, then, then think, as Matthew Henry said, if God feeds the birds, how much more will he not look after his babes? And then think of, consider the lilies. The lilies are a beautiful flower. I have a dear Chinese friend and she loves to get lilies at this time of the year. She thinks they're really beautiful. And so they are. 
The Lord Jesus said, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Think of that. Whenever the Queen of Sheba met Solomon, she was blown away. Her mind was dazzled. Not only at, at this wisdom, but at all the gold and the wealth and, and, and the way he was dressed. and Oh, she was just taken up with it all. And yet the Lord says that one of the lilies in the field, one of the lilies in the vase, is not even arrayed. Solomon's not even arrayed like one of them. And if God clothes the grass of the field and looks after the flowers of the field, then you consider them and consider Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, we were singing. Fix your mind in him. Grip your mind on who he is and what he's done. See, there's the argument of providence. But notice this also. There's the argument of provision. It says in verse 30, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knoweth what things, that uh, your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Think of that this morning. Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Don't waste your time and worry, because God always takes care of his own. Casting all your care upon him, he careth for you. And what about the troubles of life? Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. But remember, he's our heavenly father. And just as an earthly father takes care of his children or ought to, sadly some fathers neglect that responsibility and they sin against God in that respect. But our heavenly father, he's different. Let's get our eyes on him. He knows what you have need of. Don't waste your time and worry. God always provides and takes care of of his own. There's the argument that's addressed. An argument of priority. Is God first in your life? An argument of providence. Do you see how God is working things out providentially? And even when bad things happen, remember, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's something to think about in a bad day. And the argument of provision. You've got a heavenly father and he knows everything about you. The very hairs of your head, they're counted. And he knows your frowns. He knows your distress. He knows your thought. He knows your tossing and turning. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he'll provide and undertake if you but trust yourself to him. And could I tell you this in closing? The activity we are to adopt. You see, when you're overcome with worry to the point where sin is entered and you're not trusting the Lord, then here's the activity you're to adopt. Admit that you're worried. It is a sin. Worry's godless. It's useless. It's pointless. Let's use the worry as a wake-up call to think about the state of our hearts. Remember, worry only compounds the problem. Don't overthink the problem. Don't make the problem bigger. Admit that you need the Lord's help. Admit you have a heavenly father that you can turn to and ask him for help. Admit that he's in control. 
that he's all wise and all powerful. And if you're here this morning and you're living your own way and you've no thought or regard for God, you've left the Lord out of your picture of your life as maybe as a young person, you've ignored God and you're thinking you've no need of him and you're worried about food and shelter and clothing and all the rest and you're worried about bad things happening in the world, then I invite you this morning to think about the Lord. Let me tell you this as we finish. A man called Andy went to the doctor. He was getting a physical health checkup. The diagnosis wasn't good. He came out of that hospital ashen-faced. He was really distraught. What am I going to do? How am I going to tell my wife? What about my family? I'll be gone in short time. He met a mate, and the mate said to him, you know what, you should start reading the Bible, Andy. Andy wasn't a church goer. No thought, fear for, for God. But he got a Bible. And he started to read. And you know the first place that he read was Matthew 6. And the verses that he started was 25 right through to the end. And those words, take no thought, they burned himself into his mind. He was worried. He was fearful. And that day sitting, reading the Bible, he realized, I'm a sinner. I've got a soul. I need to be saved. And he asked Christ to become his Lord and Savior. And he began to seek first the kingdom of God. And he realized that my first great worry is my sin problem. And I've got to be right with God. And he set himself in a quest to be interested then in spiritual things. The reading of the Bible. Attending the prayer meeting. Uh, going to church. Wanting his neighbors and friends to hear about how he got saved. He had time and zeal for the Lord. He started speaking to souls. And he had the joy of seeing his wife and family come to faith in Christ and he told himself every day God is aware of all my need and my health issues and he trusted the Lord to help him through to this day the Lord has still got his hand on Andy and Andy's living for the Lord despite a diagnosis of a terminal illness and you see it's to God be the glory I want to say to you this morning, here's the activity to adopt. If you're here in this house, here's a word for worried souls. Think about this activity and ask yourself, have I adopted it? Have I admitted to the Lord? Have I confessed? Have I, have I put him first? Am I trusting and depending on him? Thank you this morning for coming. Thank you for listening. I trust and pray the Lord will bless you. If I can be of any help to anyone, feel free to have a wee word with me.